Um, this morning, I want to talk about the key to abundant life. And John chapter 10 and 10 uh, talks about this. He says, The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to its fullest, or that you may have abundant life. And over the course of, of my time with Christ, over the course of uh, my time in ministry, I've seen that people come and go, people come and they come to an altar, they even get, uh, uh, quote, saved, born again, uh, rededicate their life, whatever you may want to call it. Um, but one of the things that I think has been so tragic and so sad to me is they, they make that decision, but nothing much changes in their life. They they weren't either told or discipled or guided in that path, and so they thought that just coming and kneeling, just saying a prayer, just uh, saying, God, fix me, was going to be enough. And believe me, that, that takes care of the spiritual side. Blam! He takes care of that. You're saved, you're forgiven, and it's done. But the problem is, you've lived all your life up to that point with all of your tendencies, all of your mess, all of your stuff, and it doesn't just go away when you say, Lord, save me. And we have to figure out, how do we actually have a life that looks changed after we get saved, after you've been born again, after you've... Because if not, basically, here's the thing. Okay, I'm at church, Pastor. Now what? Well... There is more. And that's the problem. If you just think that this is enough, it won't be enough. And, and, and I'm not suggesting that you won't go to heaven, but the reality is your life will probably look a lot like it did way before you got saved. It will probably have very little impact on the people around you. You'll probably still struggle in your relationships. You'll probably struggle with your life. And, and the reality is it takes more than just praying a prayer. And I wish it didn't. I wish that as soon as you prayed that prayer, that bingo, bango, bongo, woo, everything's great. All my relationships lined up. Oh, my job is awesome. I'm getting a promotion. People love me. I never have any problems anymore. I don't have any temptations anymore. Everything's great. But I found out that that doesn't happen. I got saved. And then the question is, now what? What am I supposed to do now? I don't know anything. I don't know what to do. And we have the opportunity, because God brings His Word, to tells us what to do. That's why I keep saying, we've got to be people of the Word. If you don't read the Word, you don't know what to do. And I can't possibly speak into each and every one of your lives over each and every one of your problems, but God, through His Holy Spirit, as you read the Word, can direct you and guide you and convict you and change you. But you've got to be willing to have a process because I want you to have blessed lives. And I don't mean big homes and all the money and you don't need a, you don't need a Learjet. And you don't need a house with 12 rooms. That's just more property taxes. It's just more cleaning. It's just more... What we need is rich relationships with God and with the people around us. Because think about it. Most of your drama is not with the rooms of your house. Most of the drama is between, does God even know I'm here anymore? Does He like me? I know He says that He loves me, but does He like me? And do the people around me, 
Do they understand me? Are they there for me? That's 90% of the drama. And the other small 10% is just stuff that happens to you because we live in a fallen world. We live in life. But can I tell you, after all these years of following God as best I can, that it's not just enough to come and sit in a church. It's not just enough to say that prayer. That's just the beginning. And so I want to give you what I believe is some small principles. It's just two verses this morning, but uh, here is the number one key to an abundant life. Here it is. Stop sinning. Now, if I just said, okay, that's, that's all you need to know, would you feel encouraged this morning? <laughs> that's way too easy. But oftentimes, that's been the message, just stop sinning. Well, okay. But can I tell you that there's more than that? Because in our natural bodies, it's impossible to just do this. We have tendencies, we have desires, we have temptations, we have stuff that's going to lead us astray. Even when we're not trying to, it's going to happen. So even though this is a message of the Bible, stop sinning, (laughs) there's a lot more to it than that. Would you agree this morning? Okay. Now, if you start to feel a little cold this morning, it's not because of, of my message. Just rub your hands together, you'll be all right, okay? We're just making that change over from cold weather to warm weather, or warm weather to cold weather. But in the book of Romans, we find this process. And it's two simple verses that can help you have the abundant life. Now, when I say simple, I do mean simple, but I don't mean easy. Many verses in the Bible are simple. Almost anybody can understand it. But it doesn't mean that they're easy because it requires us to step into the Word, step into that process, step into that commitment, step out of things. And just so you know, before we get started, and maybe I'll need to spend a little more, a whole Sunday on this, but I won't say that I'm old school, but I just realized that I had to develop spiritual disciplines. And, and one of the first is this, that when I say yes to Jesus, yes also means no to other things. Because if I say yes to Jesus, and yes to my sin, and yes to the world, and yes, then I have obliterated any decision that I've made. And in a world where, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you made appointments. There wasn't a phone that kept the notes for you and all that stuff. And nobody called you a day in advance. Hey, remember you got a doctor's appointment. They just gave you an appointment. You were supposed to be an adult and you showed up and you did the appointment. And in those days, our yes was supposed to be yes and our no was supposed to be no. But we've come to a world today where I say, yes, I'll be at the appointment. Uh, no, I just won't be there. And you didn't mean to say no, but what happens is you said yes to the appointment, but then the very next day you schedule something that correlates with that same time and date, and you didn't say no to it. And so when we say yes to Jesus, yes, I'm going to follow you, that also means no, I'm not going to follow the world. No, I'm not going to go back to my old lifestyle. No, I'm not going to live in a way that offends God. No, I'm not going to live in a way that's going to hurt other people. And if you can't say no to the other things, then saying yes is not going to change your life that much. 
It may let you shrug off a little bit of guilt. It may make you feel like, hey, I get to be part of a club, but I'm telling you, this is not a club. This is not a place where you just want to feel welcome, but your life doesn't get changed. That's a tragedy of church, is that you would come and come and come, and yet nothing changes you. Now, most of that's on you. And I agree there are churches that... uh, Maybe they don't fully preach the gospel, or it's more about encouragement and, and all that. I want to encourage you too, but I want to encourage you to righteousness. I want to encourage you to follow Him to the best of your ability, not at my ability, but at your ability. And most of all, I want to encourage you to have a life that is awesome here, because that's what Jesus promises. Not only will you have a great life here, but you're going to have a great life over there. But it means that when you say yes, you've also got to start saying no to some things. Okay? Because if not, then you keep following back into that pattern. And I've met those people. I said yes to Jesus when I was 12, and I'm thinking, yeah, and your life is still a mess. And it's not because Jesus failed or your salvation, quote, didn't take. But the problem is you couldn't say no to those other things. And so we find here in Romans chapter 12, much more than stop sinning. It's funny that when people ask Jesus about this new life, he never said, stop sinning. <laughs> he engaged them in a conversation about, oh, you say you want to follow me. Here's what you need to do. Oh, you say you want to be made well. Here's what you need to do. Does the Bible say that we need to deal with our sin? Yes, but do you realize he has dealt with our sin? And as we continue to sin, and and hopefully it's not intentional, He has grace and mercy to forgive us. We can't deal with our sin. Only He can deal with our sin, but we can start saying no. Okay? Because sin will happen around us, and sometimes to us just because of the world we live in, but we can determine not to be an active participant. Did you know that? You do have power by the Holy Spirit of God to be able to say no now that you're saved where you didn't before. But here's the real key. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you, or I beg you, I, I plead with you, Therefore, and the therefore again is to remind us what just came from that and, and what came right before this was he says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And he just talked about a whole section of monologue there that you, of, of how he took us and he grafted us in and we're branches and he's the tree and, and he's reminding us that he has taken care of us and he is the one that's done the work and now we are one with him. And then we find Romans 12 where he says, therefore knowing this, knowing that he's done the hard work, now here's your part. By the mercies of God, that you, who? You. You've got a role in, in your abundant life. That you present your bodies, what? A living, aren't you glad it says living there? Not a human sacrifice. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. That you present... Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Okay? Now, first of all, let's change how we put the emphasis on the syllables here. 
What if we said instead of present your bodies, if I said present your body? What's a present? Something that you give freely. Anybody ever gone to a birthday party? You gave them their present and you stood there with your hand out like, I gave you something, where's mine? What if you present God with your body? This is my gift to you. You've given me eternal life. You have taken care of my salvation. You have set me on a course for eternity. You've done all of that work. It is the finished work of the cross. Now I present me to you. And maybe some of you are saying, I'm not sure that he'd want that gift. He wants that gift. All the mess in it, all the stuff, but the reality is we hold back parts of our life from him. Instead of saying, I'm going to present my living body, not just when I die and go to heaven. Notice, I want a living sacrifice. I want your everyday life. I want you, all that you are, all that you're not. I want you, you, you give yourself to me. And then he goes on from there. Holy. Well, the only way that we can present ourselves holy is through him. He is the only way to make us holy. He is that work. You can't be holy in yourself. We can't wash enough. We can't wear enough white clothes. We can't scrub down with bleach enough because holiness is on the inside, not the outside. And so as we present ourselves to Him, He makes us holy. And it's a process that the Bible calls sanctification, which means we start someplace and we begin to change. We begin to get cleaner, right? If you've ever cooked something and it got overdone, uh, I, I forgot the coffee pot this weekend. And now it's got baked on coffee. Is the pot not a coffee pot? Still a coffee pot. Does it look like it used to? Am I going to have to do a little work to get that stuff clean? And believe me, it's, it's dirty on the inside, not the outside. Now, the great, the great way that's happening in our world today is, I'll just fill it up with coffee and nobody will notice that it's dirty. Until it gets emptied. And that's part of the process of what God's talking about here. When we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, He begins to empty stuff out of us. And I'm thankful for that, but sometimes it's scary. He begins to empty stuff out of us, and now he says, okay, I'm ready to fill you up, but do you see this residue in here? The only way I can clean that is you have to present yourself and allow me to do the work in your life. When I was young, I hated going to the dentist, and that has carried over to my 50th year. But I find that if I'll actually open my mouth and relax, it goes so much easier. I was a squirmer and a biter as a kid. And I now feel uh, really sorry for my dentist back in those days. But can you imagine going to the dentist and you sit there and he says, Okay, just lean back, okay, and open your mouth. Mm Mm-mm. You realize you're here for a, an appointment, right? Mm-hmm. 
and you've got a tooth problem that you want me to fix, mm-hmm. well, you're going to have to open your mouth. Mm-mm. You see, God wants to do the work on us. He's not afraid of the work. He's not, he's not looking at you like, oh, you sick, disgusting, burned coffee pot. He's like, you are awesome. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I made you. I want you to be full. But we've got some work to do, and you've got some work to do to allow me access. Acceptable to God. Instead of being acceptable to the world, which means no standards, anything goes in our world today. Just, I don't know if you've experienced that, but anything goes. He's like, I do have some standards. And the standards aren't for me. I exist without having to worry about those standards. Those standards are for you so that you have a great life. Those standards are to keep you safe. Those standards are to keep you on the right path with me. Those standards are to keep you abundant and full and healthy and happy. That's why I want it to be acceptable to me because my way of living is great living. And unfortunately, we've been sold a lie that, you know, the Christian life is all the don'ts. Yeah, I can't do this. Yeah, and I've been there. Yeah, I don't get to get drunk anymore and throw up and have a hangover. Wow, what am I missing? I don't get to wake up clutching the toilet, surrounded in my own vomit, or wondering who I'm laying next to. Man, I can't believe all that I'm missing. I don't get to have fear every time I see those red and blue lights going on. What's it going to pull me over for this time? Man, what am I missing? The clear conscience and the ability to have God love us and forgive us through anything is an incredible gift. And we owe Him. Not just eternity. We can't work it off. It's not about works. He's done all that work. But we owe Him our bodies to say, Lord, do something in me. And it doesn't benefit Him. It benefits us. So we ask, you present your bodies. And I'm telling you right now, And this is, I'll let you see the paper if you want to see it. This is not in here. This is what God telling me. There's a few of you young ones in here. You're using your bodies for other things. And I'm telling you, that window's closing of your ability to connect with God. And you're finding yourself farther and farther away from Him. And pretty soon, you may not hear His voice calling you. It doesn't mean He can't save you. But do you really want to wait for something traumatic and tragic to happen? God gives us these times and these windows where your ears are still open and though your heart may be a little hard that if you can just overcome your pride and you can look and say, I can admit that my life is not close to God and I'm talking to somebody here this morning that you don't even want to be here. You're just doing it to placate your parents. You're doing it because you're just interested somehow but you're not sure you want to change or there, somebody has plied you to get here but you're not engaged in this at all and you're like, I wish he'd just shut up. And I get that. But I want you to know right from the Holy Spirit, your window is closing. And you may be finding a place where that conscience that's been nagging a little bit at you no longer nags at you. And that's a dangerous place to be. The Bible has many stories that talks about where people kept pursuing and pursuing against God's advice 
And at times he says, you want that? All right, you've got it. And what we think we want, we find it's not what we want, and it may be a long time and a horrible path to come back to him. And yes, he is there. The moment that you realize that you have messed up and ready to turn back, God is there. That's the grace of God. But the years and the weeks and the tears and the broken heart and the shattered relationships and the mess that follows, you could avoid it if you'll see the window, if you just overcome this thought of, I don't have to do that. I'm my own person. The world says, or I said, or my teacher says, or whoever you heard the lie from, you've got to hear the truth this morning. That God has something so much better. And you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have to be one of those. One of those is a good life. And he, I mean, think about this. He specifically says, If you love or make friends with the world, you are an enemy of me. And as more and more people align themselves with worldly values, even in the church, you're making yourself an enemy of God. And I don't want that for you. And it's not about some hard holiness. It's not about clothes and earrings and all of that mess. It is about deciding, I've got a process in this, and I'm going to give myself to God. And why not today? What's stopping you? His love is available right now. Why would you want to risk another time? I'm so thankful of the stuff that he saved me from before I even knew he was saving me. That I'm even alive. That That's the first part. And notice that he says this. This is your reasonable service. This is the normal way that we have a relationship with God. This is not above and beyond. This is not special forces Christianity. This is the basics. You present yourself to God. God bought our bodies through the work on the cross, and now he says, I want you to give those to me so that you have a great life, so that you are in right relationship with the people around you, so that you, as you walk through your life, you just living the great life, bring me glory in the decisions that you make, in the people that you love in the way that you work, in the way you raise your kids, in the way you are at school or wherever you may find yourself. When you're doing it for me, I love it and you bring me joy and glory. But one of the reasons that people don't have that relationship is they keep this to themselves. I use my body for me I use my money for me. My thoughts are for me. And God, you've got that little bit of time. If I decide to go on Sunday, that's for you. He wants your all the time. He wants your every place. He wants your all things that you are and all things that you're not. Most of us, we're a mess. I'm a mess. I'm still in the works. He's not finished with me yet. And sometimes it feels like a gentle sanding. And sometimes it feels like I'm on the anvil and he is... But I realize He's making me into something that's going to be awesome. And sometimes He has to turn up the heat. And sometimes He's got to cool it down. And sometimes He's got to pound it out because I get twisted. 
And sometimes I'm all right and he's just gently sanding the edges. Because his goal is to make us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Not into super Christian, not into somebody that wears clothes from here to here and their hair in a bun and looks plain and mean and got nothing. I'm a Christian. And if you want to be as happy as me, you'd go to church too. But I don't like the music at that church, and I don't like the people at that church, and I don't like the pastor at that church, but I'm going to church because that's what's going to get me to heaven. Wrong. God is vitally concerned with how much we love Him and how much we love the people around us. It's a hard attitude. And believe me, your heart's inside your body. (laughs) He's already taking care of the Spirit. Your spirit is willing. The Bible even says that our spirit is willing, but our flesh, these bodies are weak. We want what we want. That's why he says, if you really want a good life that goes beyond praying that prayer when you're a teenager and you've never done anything else for him, in fact, you hate going to church, you hate reading your Bible, you hate praying, and you hate church people, you've got a problem no matter what you prayed. Because you didn't give this to him. You just gave him lip service. Then he goes on the second part. This is the hard part. Don't be conformed to this world. And he does, he does a comparison right here. Look at, Don't be conformed, which means pressed in. Okay? If you've ever made a silicone something or put cookies in a cookie cutter, that's being conformed. It's being shaped by an external force. Don't be conformed. Instead, be transformed. And that word goes back to a root, which means changing from a caterpillar into a butterfly. Aren't you tired of being a caterpillar? Huh? Something that can soar, something that's beautiful, something that was once a a looky, weird-looky worm that now looks, look at, it looks completely different. That's what he's saying. But it's not the external. It's the internal. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't give in to this world. Don't follow the pattern of this world. But be transformed how? Not by coming to church. But look at what he says. You want to know how you live the abundant life? Renewing your mind. Agreeing that God's way is right. And agreeing that God's way is best. And believing that His Word is going to lead you into something wonderful. And something powerful. And a life worth living. But if you don't believe that, it's going to be a struggle. We have to renew our mind. And there's people here this morning, you're like, I haven't made up my mind. That's the problem. Make up your mind. Follow Him. To the best of your ability. No, you don't have it all figured out. He didn't say get it all figured out. He just said, follow me. I'll transform you from where you are to what you can be. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to know what is good. Then you'll be able to know what's acceptable. Then you'll be able to know what the will of God is. But if you don't give Him your body and mind, how many of you would agree that your brain is inside your body? And if you don't give Him your body, He doesn't have your brain. Right? 
So we have a process of this now belongs to you, God. I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. And I'm going to agree, even when I don't like it, even when I don't understand, even when there's conflict, I'm going to agree that your way is right and I'm going to try my best to follow it. And when you do that, guess what? Your life begins to change. Your life begins to change. Now here's the reality. Here's what Paul didn't say. He didn't say be transformed by rededicating your life. People do that all the time. But if you don't do the next part, he also doesn't say make promises to God. You make promises, but how often do we keep those promises? Unless your promise is, I promise to give myself to you. Or feeling extra sorry about what you did. That doesn't transform your life. Promises don't change your life. Feeling sorry doesn't change your life. Praying a really long prayer, you get in trouble, some mess happens, and you begin to pray like you never prayed before in that really long 13-second prayer that you've never prayed before. Isn't going to change your life. Filling out a card at church. I filled out one of those cards. Even as this morning, you can join the church and live a messed up, no good life. Notice he didn't say any of those things. Paul, who had a lot to say about a lot of things, was very specific in this area. You want to know how to have that life that Jesus promised? Present your body to God and renew your mind. And it's a process. But you've got to just agree with the process today. If you agree with the process today, things will begin to change. Or, guess what? You can resist the process, but that's part of the issue. Because what you're really saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. God, you don't really understand me. God, I'm not sure that your way is best. His way is always best, but His way is not always easy. And it's not always relevant to the world out there. That's why He says, don't look at the world as your comparison. You look to me. No, I love what the message version says. This is, this is pretty incredible. Romans 12, 1 and 2 of the, the message version says, here's what I want you to do, Paul speaking in this conversational tone, with God helping you, I want you to take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and I want you to place it before God as an offering. That means it's for Him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what He wants from you, quickly responding to it. Unlike the culture around you, notice He's transitioning those two things, church and God's ways and the culture. Unlike the culture around you that is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, developing well-formed maturity in you. So you've got a choice. Am I going to agree with God or am I going to agree with the culture? And if you look around and you think that culture knows what it's doing, it's a mess. And it's not an age group. And when I say culture, don't think, yep, those teenagers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about anybody in the present culture, no matter what their age is, that thinks, oh, that's all that stuff that's old-fashioned, that's backwards, that'll never work. We need it now more than ever. 
Nobody is out there promoting purity. Nobody is out there saying we need to get back to ethical standards. Nobody is out there saying we got to get back to righteousness and virtue and trust. Everybody's saying, I'm just going to get what I can get, and it's as long as I don't get caught. And that's not the great life. Can I just tell you, we talk about these keys. Old ways won't open new doors. You want something new? Your old ways aren't going to open new doors. You've got to get a key. You've got to find, you want a new door? How about a new key? I'm giving you the new key this morning. That's give God your body and renew your mind. Two simple steps. Anybody can remember that, right? Give God your body, renew your mind. You've got to be engaged in this. Last but not least, unless you're engaged in that process of renewing your mind, there's going to be no lasting improvement. There's going to be no impact on you. No matter how much church you attend, if you don't get engaged in the process, it's not going to happen. Even being a Christian doesn't guarantee the change. Only a renewed mind does. That's right in the Bible. You can say, hey, I'm a Christian. Let's measure your life up against what the Bible says. Well, uh, and we've got to the place in a weird culture where people say, I'm a Christian, I just don't do what the Bible says. Well, then you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. Yeah, I'm Earl Thomas. It doesn't matter what I say. <laughs> There's a standard. Through renewal this process, the wisdom and truth of God becomes the foundation of our thinking. And then eventually it will change our behavior. See, for way too long the church focused on the behavior. And our minds were still messed up. I'm here to tell you, it's a long process. For some of you, you're 20, 30, you've got 20 years of mess that you're going to have to overcome. It, some of it doesn't change overnight. You've got to think like God thinks. You've got to allow him to renew your, open your eyes to, wow, that's why this keeps happening. Wow, I need to ask for forgiveness and I need to change. I need to... Our thinking will lead to right behavior. When we just try to change behavior without the thinking part, it either leads to resistance and rebellion or it leads us to something he never asked it, just being a rule keeper with a messed up life. You're still stuck. You're still pitiful. You still have no hope, but I'm keeping the rules. And the rules, even Jesus said, that law doesn't bring life. There's something better. There's something bigger, church. But your old ways won't open new doors. We have to renew our minds.